Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Russell Benaroya. Russell has been a Seattle area healthcare and technology entrepreneur for a long time and has a background in corporate finance and private equity. In 2018-19, Russell re-architected his life with his family and moved abroad to Costa Rica. That posed an interesting challenge. He needed a profession that he could perform from outside the U.S. while also tapping into his passion for supporting other entrepreneurs to achieve their highest and best use. Today, Russell is the co-founder of Stride Services, a national bookkeeping and accounting firm serving over 100 high-growth companies. He regularly speaks on boring accounting topics and makes them really fun. He makes them interesting and strategic for other entrepreneurs. And when he isn't helping entrepreneurs succeed, he is contemplating life on his 24-hour plus crazy, crazy ultra trail runs, or he's spending time with his beautiful wife, Melissa, and their two kids, Shane and Devin. Welcome, Russell. Good to see you. Thanks, Shauna. Great to be here. So nice to see you. So good to see you too. Okay, so we're starting with our rapid fire. And of course, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with your endurance runs. So I'm just curious, is there a bucket list endurance run that you just need to do between now and the end of time that you haven't done? Or have you done an, have you already done it? The, the, the hardest hundred in the United States is called the Hard Rock 100. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a good friend who I run with quite a bit. Uh, we've done a couple of races together. He's run the Hard Rock. It Where took is it? It's in Colorado. Most of the run is over 13,000 feet or certainly over 11,000 feet. So it's high altitude. When he ran it the first time, it took him like 48 hours almost, yep, to run it. And he's also done a 100 miler in 23 hours. I did my 100 miler a few years ago in Utah in 27 hours. So it's a tough one. It's total bucket list. I'm not sure I would survive it. It's Please too, don't do it. I love yeah, you I too much. To I get worried. I mean, your last one, when you were videoing it, I was like, is he puking? Like, is he getting delirious? <laughs> like, what is happening? We need to talk about it later because we're in rapid fire. Sounds good. But yeah, it's it's kind of insane. And it, yeah. it's also one of the reasons why I love you. Um, okay, <laughs> what is one of your favorite business books that you would probably most frequently recommend to others? Oh, you said favorite books? Well, yeah, book. I said business book, but oh, it could business be any books. book. It goes with without saying, I, I know this isn't on video, but I'm holding it up for you right now. The mm. number one book is called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership by Jim Dethmer and Diana Chapman. Uh, it has been a game-changing book for my life uh, and for all of our employees at Stride. 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Okay. Um, I appreciate that. I've actually started to, unlikewise, um, have our podcast guests add in their favorite movies, their favorite books, because I'm getting these nuggets and I feel like tempted to just take notes and then go from there and like publish it because uh, we're getting really good suggestions. So that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, okay. Two of my favorite cities, Santa Barbara or LA? Quick, quick. Santa Barbara. God, I, I am so glad you said that. Well, I love LA too, but Santa Barbara is just paradise. Um, we're glad that you came back, but I don't know that I could have come back from those, those places. The sun. Are you, I, mean, I think I know the answer to this one. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, I am an extrovert. Yeah. I had a feeling. You? Um, <laughs> that's like hilarious. Uh, I'm off the charts extrovert, but actually COVID <laughs> I'm realizing that like, it's, it's a forcing function of, you know, having less extroversion and I'm actually really content and learning yeah. to be like quiet and calm. We've talked about this. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could have one superpower that you don't already have, what would it be? Quick reactions. Quicker reactions. <laughs> Quicker reactions. Fast, fast, fast twitch muscles would be my oh. superpower. It like brain muscles or like physical? Both. 
Both, but pr- primarily brain. That was my instinct when you asked the question. It would be fast twitch brain. Maybe it's because pon- you're in rapid I- fire and you're feeling pressure. <laughs> Maybe, but I ponder things a lot. And, and I wish I was just more like on it. Well, it seems like it's working for you. So maybe it's good to ponder. Um, okay, this is a fun one. What's your favorite song to dance to? You got the dance moves. What kind of music do you like to dance to? I, I'm just quick fire. I'm thinking Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. I don't know. There's oh, yeah. something about the, the, the shoulders and the head right. that okay. really gets me, gets me going. Yeah, we might have to have this one on video because I'm seeing you. Please, you please do not do and- that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to start from like early days because I feel like you and I have known each other or at least by name, uh, but of each other because um, we both are Seattleites. Um, tell me about your childhood here because there's very few of us left. A lot of the transplants um, think that we're like Seattle ice, but you and I are not so much. <laughs> yeah, we're warm I, I would, and loving and inviting. I would. I would. I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, my 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 childhood was so uh, basic and so sheltered upon reflection. It's probably why I've tried to disrupt myself a little bit as an adult, um, because it was great. I grew up in Bellevue. I went to Bush. Um, I then went to Bellevue High School and had a great group of friends and a mom who doted on me and supported me. And mm-hmm. I had a Jewish community that that I really appreciated. And yeah, I think everything was, and I played sports and I was a tennis player and I played lacrosse. I mean, I wasn't like, um, I, I didn't play them in college or anything. Like I know you, you were a very uh, successful tennis player, uh, but it was just, it was just a really idyllic yeah. Uh, I'm curious upbringing. because we have a very similar upbringing. I mean, I actually didn't realize you went to Bush and then Bellevue because I went to Lakeside and then Mercer right. Highland. So the private school to the public school and those private school years were some of the best learnings for me of my life. But I don't necessarily have guilt around it. Um, I just feel blessed and gratitude, especially the more people that I meet in my adult life. I just am like, wow, I really did. I don't have much to complain about. You know, the couch talk of like therapy is not about not feeling loved. It's it's more like the angsty stuff that I have of like, what mark am I going to leave on the world and how can I be more successful? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think I paused to really reflect on what I was doing at the time or where I was going in high school. I was just kind of going and I look at what our kids are doing today and some of the questions that they're, they're challenged to ask themselves about what is the, their, their life going to look like. And I just, I just didn't do that. And so my reflection on childhood is, huh, I wish I had been a bit more curious Oh, for sure. Are you kidding? I mean, yeah. the conversations that we're having right now around the dinner table, and I know you've got equally engaged children, yeah. are like, part of me is like, go be a kid. Go just like, not check out, but just like, think about boys and like, where you're going to get your next whatever, like, whatever it <laughs> is. Like, my kids are just so focused on, well, not all of them, but but the kids are very, they have too much exposure almost, and they, they're so engaged in the world at almost like an adult level. And then the social media, just all of it, it's just chaos. Totally complex. I mean, like you said, the conversations we're having today, my, my parents never, we never broached those conversations about vulnerability and self-reflection and social justice and purpose and, and, and just looking at your own behaviors and saying, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I could have thought about that different because usually when you're growing up, it's all about who's doing things to you and blame mm-hmm. and things like that. So what, what I find interesting is that it's probably a combination of the kids that you have or that I have in like their DNA, but also the direction that you're taking the dinner time conversation because you're, you're wanting to have an impact on those conversations and you want to have an influence because you're, you're into being a dad and Melissa's right. into being a mom. Like it's a big part of your identity. Some parents aren't mm. doing it I'm finding and I'm like, well, maybe your kids just not bring it up. My kids are are bringing up subjects that are pretty big. Anyway, mm-hmm. you obviously kicked ass and did something right in high school because UCSB would have been a crazy stretch school for me, and I I was pretty successful in high school. Like, how'd you get in? Oh, I I don't know. I certainly graduated with good good grades, but I, I mean, what what again is particularly em- embarrassing about about college is I didn't overthink it. Uh, 
and our kids are totally totally thinking about it today yeah. but but I went to UCSB because my sister was going to UCSB and she she graduated from Bellevue High and she was doing great and she loved it and Kim Kim's been a role model for me for a long time and I only shared that with her about 3 years ago how much she impacted me in the decisions that oh I made God. in my life. You know and I'm so, going to cry because I have chills. <laughs> so so um, I, I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara. And yeah, like, I, I don't it's know. It's a I got killer it. school. I mean, oh, it's a killer school. I mean, I couldn't get in today. I couldn't get in today. I mean, it's so hard well, to get in. I went college. to UW. I don't think I could get into UW. So, <laughs> but you had the wisdom and foresight to study econ and accounting. Like, I was just, I chose sociology because the, 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 the building was like closest to my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I loved it, like the study of like human behavior ish. But like econ and accounting would have been really helpful for me as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it it ended up being very practical. Um, it ended up being very practical. And then junior year in college, I studied abroad in the UK for uh, for six months, and then then did an internship for three months over there um, in a in an econ program. And that really helped solidify my desire to want to take a stab at working on Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's when everything changed for me, when I finally, the light bulb went off that, um, that I was ready to take a bigger risk and a bigger yeah. leap. To try to make it well, the, going that route is also, I mean, you know, at some schools, they're, they're recruiting out of the campus, you know, for banking and for consulting. Um, is that how you ended up at Solomon? Did they recruit you right out? Heavens no. They don't, they don't, they don't come to UC they don't, Santa I was Barbara. wondering, was so I was great. like, they didn't come no, to I UW. Called, I called my, I called my dad. I'm like, dad, I was winter break of my senior year in college. And I called my dad. I said, dad, I want to go to New York over winter break. I'd love for you to come with me. Um, and I got to go knock on doors because nobody's going to know me otherwise. And so through friends of friends of friends of friends, I'd lined up some meetings and I just knocked, I'm like this kid from UC Santa Barbara. And, and, you know, well, the West and, coast alone minus Stanford is yeah, minus Stanford. Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, I just went for it and I, I finally got an offer. It was from Smith Barney and then Smith, Smith Barney and Solomon merged about a year after I was there. And I remember so many people saying, oh my God, dude, where'd you go to college? Or did yeah. you like major in surfing? Yeah. Cause you're meeting a whole <laughs> different type of candidate base or, you know, employee base. Yeah. Yeah. There. It's all the people. Yeah. A lot of New Yorkers and people from Boston. Yeah. I totally right, get that. Right. And so was that, um, where does UCLA and getting your MBA fit into all of this? Was that like, Hey, cause I, I used to place people a lot into investment banking and they'd be like the two-year analyst program. And then you go back and get your MBA, come back as an associate. Like, was that the track that you were on? I, I tried to enter business school three times and every time before I entered a new opportunity arose such that I put off business school for another year. So two years after business school, I was um, planning to go to UCLA and my girlfriend at the time, who's now been my wife for 20 years was also living in LA. And so I can't deny on this podcast that that wasn't somewhat motivating. Go to, Melissa, rope, rope yeah. them in, Melissa. Oh, she she to totally reeled me in. Um, but right before I was going to head to UCLA, I, I had an opportunity to work for a venture capital firm in Los Angeles. So it, it did get me out to LA, but I decided to have the work experience for another year. And then I left there to go to business school to start again at UCLA. And then about a month and a half before I was supposed to start, I went to work for one of our portfolio companies called goto.com, which was a very wow. early pioneer in pay-per-click search marketing, what Google does today. Uh, and so then I went there for two years and then... I finally UCLA. decided to go to UCLA. Was that like a, I deferred or you had yeah, to it was reapply, a, it, reapply, it, reapply? It was, it, it, was, it was a deferral with an explanation. Yeah. And then I started on uh, September 11th, 2001. Oh, no, you didn't. I didn't yeah. realize that part of the story. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So that's where you were September 11th. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so two years. So were you old technically? Like, were you like, you're 26 then probably around that time or 27 and everyone's like 23. Yeah. I was, I was 20, I was 27. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I probably skewed slightly older, but that the encouragement was get more work experience. Plus you had a girlfriend. So, so many oh, people I, I talked to about, you know, getting their MBA, they're like, oh, basically let's just be honest. It was like two years of partying. Totally. I, I totally. I mean, 
I, no, I, I, let's see. Hold on. I didn't just have a girlfriend. Oh, I was married. Sorry. Oh, I was a married guy. Next yeah, level. Which totally puts me in the, in the, yeah. in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Old so um, why did you go back to get your MBA? Like, I like to ask that because there are people contemplating, especially candidates that I'll meet. They're like asking me, I'm like, I don't have an MBA. I don't know. I like to ask it because I'm curious what you would tell students that you've mentored along the way. Yeah. I mean, why I went back to get it at the time is probably different than how I appreciate it upon reflection. But at the time, um, I thought it was the perfect vehicle to step out of the frenzy of what had transpired over the last five years to stop mm. and reflect and take a bit more control to dictate what is it that I really want to do? Where do I get energy? And what is the best path for me to get on that trajectory? And business school just creates that environment. Yes, of course, you meet great people. Of course, there's cool alumni. And of course, there's great program. And yes, and you learn something too. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really a gift. And if you can take the gift um, and really honor the, the time and the space, I mean, listen, there's nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what was your reflection? Like, did you have those aha moments of like, this is what I want to be when I grow up? I think what, what it did for me was help create a stronger foundation for the path I wanted to pursue in finance and entrepreneurship. And I thought, oh, you know, having an MBA, it's a, it's an important uh, marker in a mm -hmm. world where people's attention span is short and they just want to know like, oh, did, we're, you know, like, we're what, have you school, what, you, what have you done? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what's funny upon reflection is that the most important classes that I really should have paid attention to in, in business school, like marketing and HR, I thought were like meaningless. Like fluffy. Fluffy. And today I think they are probably the most important topics yeah. for how you cultivate an organization that you're building and how you communicate and articulate your value proposition to the market. Like yeah. finance, a lot of people can do finance. Come on. Yeah. It's the, it's the back office. Yeah. It's back office, right? Yeah. Well, and some so, people, I think in the olden days, HR was thought of as back office and now it's taking a front, front and center position as people really think about diversity and inclusion and they think about culture and they think about, oh my gosh, our most important asset is our people. So let's actually- yeah, let's actually build a business around our people. At what stage in your life did you realize you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And like, was private equity a part of that? I, I went back to uh, working in private equity after business school. I was there for about a year and consistently anxious that I really hadn't run a business before, but I'm supposed to be like building a career and evaluating businesses that I'm supposed to invest in. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so I had this like entrepreneurial energy. And I thought to myself, I'm 29 years old. Like if I don't go out and like make a break and do something now, I'm never, it, you know, it's only going to get harder. And yeah. like, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I was just really anxious to go and forge my own path and run that experiment. Yeah. yeah. And look at you now. You're like, and here I am 20 years later, I'm still an entrepreneur. Like you got the bug. It is what it well, is, you know, for better, or for worse. I know that there's like a burden around that. You're like, it'd be kind of nice to have like, you could have gone, you know, corp dev Amazon or something, some crazy equity situation, but um, you've done really well as an entrepreneur. I didn't know what that journey was going to look like because my lens as an investor was like, oh, you make an investment in five years. It's either going to work out or, or not, but it probably will. So it's mm -hmm. going to work out for me, right? Because yeah, I know that I believe in myself and um, it's going to be great for my family and I'm going to be successful. Successful is measured by, oh, maybe I'll make a lot of money. And of course, like none of that happens as planned. And so this roller coaster that's now, you know, 16, 17 years, uh, I could not have anticipated the- For sure. And you, you and said the word success and you said measured by money. Has that measurement changed for you over time? Oh, a hundred percent. Right. The older you get, the more you're like, hello, I have my health first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, what is, yeah. what, what's your measurement of success now? Yeah. I mean, my measurement of success is, Am I, am I working in my 
area of genius where I get energy, where I can make impact, where yes, of course, like I want to achieve my economic means. I have economic goals like anybody else, but am I, am I doing something that totally lights me up where I feel like the work matters and that I wake up in the morning and I feel this thirst for adventure and for connection. Yeah. Um, and it was for a long time, it was with my family, it was like the Russell Benaroya show and my family was along for the ride until my wife finally said one day, hey, I asked her, I said, well, where are we going to be in five years? Melissa, we never really planned it. And she's like, well, it's never really been about us. It's always been about you. And I think that's, that was my realization that I had mismanaged uh, my life design. Mm, interesting. And so what have you, what did you learn from that conversation? I know that, I remember you blogging about this a little bit. Yeah. And this was, that, that was more around your transition to go to Costa Rica though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't that around that timing? It was, it was. I. But you had all I these think, entrepreneurial experiences along the way. You had every move. Yeah. You know, you've, and you've had, medical. Yeah. So, so what did you, I want to talk about those a little bit before we get into Costa Rica, because I feel like all of this is the buildup to that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you, first of all, how'd you even transition to tech for people who are in investment banking or in private equity that are thinking they're, they're kind of you 17 years ago, I kind of want to get into tech. How do you even start? Yeah. Well, surround yourself with people that can be catalysts for a change in your life trajectory. And so mm-hmm. I had the I had the unique opportunity to um, be well connected with a good friend of ours in Seattle, Andy Liu. And Andy Liu and I spent a lot of time talking about uh, different opportunities to bring technology into healthcare. And I had run a healthcare service business before starting Every Move. And uh, Andy and I talked about hey, how can we use technology to better engage consumers to take more responsibility for their health? And I'm sitting there like, yes, like consumers, like give them a vehicle to help them help themselves. Uh, and, and that was a catalyst for a conversation with uh, Premier Blue Cross here in Seattle um, to propose a, a technology idea to them that they got excited about. And then before you knew it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm running this technology business. And then mm-hmm. my mouth went over the fire hydrant. And so what, what are your takeaways from that experience? I know that there were highs and lows because I'd see you along the way and it would be like super stressed or super pumped. And, and what was the hardest part of that journey for you? I don't know if it was specific to technology or it was, or, or just to enterprise building, like building, mm-hmm. building a company. Um, the hardest thing a lot of hard things. Uh, one was don't try to boil the ocean, like figure out the problem that you want to solve and for who right. you're solving it and solve it uniquely. And I think technology is a, is creates an opportunity to uh, accomplish a lot of things for a lot of people, but nothing uniquely for one, unless you're really maniacally focused on whose problem you're solving. And I think for us at, at every move, we tried to solve too big of a problem mm-hmm. and probably probably pursued the technology faster than we should have um, because I think we could have focused more on who's, who really has the problem here that we're what trying was, to solve. What was every move doing? Yeah. Every move was designed to be a mileage rewards plan for your health. It was per, per, supposed to be a, uh, a rewards application where people could capture their, at the time, fitness activity through wearable devices and have mm-hmm. their insurance company offer them rewards and incentives for doing the right things in their life, right? Yeah. That, that's great. Do you, do you think maybe it was a little early? Like it's well, very relevant right now. I mean, you you were like ahead of the game because now it's like you don't really see many people without a wearable. And now that we have the data, I'm like, uh-oh, my sleep score was low last night or, oh my gosh, I haven't gotten enough steps. I'm supposed to stand up and go walk, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So t- timing is certainly certainly everything. I, I think one of the one of the challenges is that you you have to define who your customer is and, and who you're serving. And the customer that was paying us at the time were insurance companies, mm. uh, but we needed to create an amazing, delightful experience for consumers. And there's this interesting tension uh, between those two. Am I trying to solve an insurance company's problem? because they want to reduce people's risk 
Uh, or am I trying to solve a consumer's problem, which I'm trying to get them engaged? And who am I trying to get engaged? Is it just healthy people that are already active? Or mm -hmm. is it really sick people that I need to, you know, that I would love to take better care of themselves? And so we were caught in the middle of that for a while. And that was really challenging. And having money can certainly help you cover those, those, th that gap as you're trying mm -hmm. to figure it Were out. Were you funded by Primera? We were funded by Primera as well as by the Blue Cross Blue Shield Venture Fund. Yeah. It seems like it's like all set up, but yeah, it's like you were, you were tackling such a big problem. Has anybody been able to do it? No. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really seen a company out there that I'm like, oh yes. I mean, obviously now health, health tech is taken off and there's so many things that are coming at me personally as a consumer that I'm like, you know, squirrel, squirrel, like that one looks good. This one looks good. And I might actually be your target audience. Um, and also I'm curious because you're so healthy and so fitness focused and, and wellness focused that maybe you were looking at it through the lens of like, well, everyone should want this. And it's like, America is like so unhealthy. I mean, people are looking for convenience and crap. I certainly wasn't the right, the right customer. I could have been the right customer if we were building for active, engaged individuals that want to turn their activity from mm -hmm. like exhaust into like something really tangible, like, a, yes. like, a, like money, right? Or some kind of rewards. But that's not really what the insurance company wanted. And, and their, strategy, their strategy shifted a little bit over time too, where they really shifted to, but what we really want is how do we impact the sickest individuals that cost us the most this year? For sure. Yeah. It's like, it, that's what they want to focus on, of course, because everything yeah. comes down to money. Yeah. That totally yeah. makes yeah. sense. And so you ultimately were acquired. Right. And was yeah. that a successful experience and, and any learnings from that experience? Yeah, like I think it was a successful experience in terms of being able to exit the the business. It wasn't a particularly successful experience in terms of return for my shareholders necessarily. Um, and yes, we had a lot of experience, a lot of learned experiences from from that. I think the uh, a really important takeaway for me was uh, better managing. Um, with integrity with my board of directors and being very open and honest about, hey, here's where I think the business is, here's where I think our opportunity is or is not. And if we are going to achieve X, right, some goal together, because I had strategic investors in, in my company, the ingredients are to do X, Y, and Z. Hey, if you're game for those ingredients, awesome, I'm still all in. If you're not, no problem, let's just go and sell the business. And that's right. what we, that's so it's what the, we it's doing. the alignment of everybody's goals and being like, are you in it for the long haul? And are you going to have me when I'm down? Or it's just like, we're going to double down when you're successful. Is that what you're saying? Well, and also just being authentic about here's the reality mm. of where we're at. It's not yeah. like everything's rosy. And I tend to be like, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. Like my glass right. is always super half full. And so I'm always like, yeah, yeah, no, it's great. We're got, you know, we got it. We're right around the corner. We're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But we're not. Yeah. And so is that, would you define that as kind of a blind spot for you? That's like, hey, this, this optimism is what gets me out of bed in the morning, but actually I need to surround myself with kind of like, um, you know, the, the opposite, like doomsday yeah. type of people that are going to balance that out. Yeah. I mean, I call it my snake, right? Like it's my yeah. snake a little bit. And so um, for those of you that know Enneagram, right? I'm an Enneagram three. So the I achiever, seek, I'm the, the achiever, but achievers also seek approval, right? Mm -hmm. they I like think I'm a three also, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they seek approval. They like pleasing, right? And it's just, it's awareness. And mm -hmm. I'm very aware, like I'm aware of my snake. I'm aware of where, you know, when it, when it you know, come, comes out and and I just need to manage that. And that's been a lot of my learning through this journey of entrepreneurship is to know like how my style uh, influences and impacts my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And how are you as a leader, would you say, or do people kind of jump on that? I, I mean, I've only heard great things about you in the community, but I've actually never spoken to anybody who's worked specifically for you. Well, how would those people describe you as far as your leadership style? 
I'm a promoter. I'm a, I'm a cheerleader. I'm very optimistic. And so I think I bring a lot of energy to the opportunities that people um, join me on the pursuit to accomplish. Uh, I'm fairly analytical as well, and I'm a doer, right? And yeah. so those aren't all good things, by the way, as I'm sharing them, mm -hmm. right? Like being a doer, like I'm willing to do anything, anything. Mm -hmm. And that's good to a point, but not when it infringes on other people's areas of responsibility in an organization. And so yeah. it comes across like, hey, dude. Like, like micromanaging? Yeah, like this is why you hired me. Like, so I, yeah. I think people would say I'm really effective at galvanizing the energy of a group of people toward a shared goal. Um, but I can also be... Uh, upon reflection, right, a little bit suffocating. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been my learning and yeah. I've continued to evolve. Yeah. I think doing is, um, I would always want to err on the side of bias toward action for sure, but I can understand why it's also like that whole saying of working on the business, not in the business to try to be like strategic and pull out and to have that kind of 30,000 foot view can also be helpful for a CEO. Um, but it's nice to be able to take action. I think that that's a great, um, I think that's a great trait actually. It's good that you're reflective on it though. But and it's so, also, it's, it's also, um, it's also prioritizing though, where you put your energy action for action's sake can look like busyness and progress, but it could be not in alignment with what is priority, what is important. Mm -hmm. I and think so, that's a soundbite right there. I like that action maybe. for action's sake. Yeah, can feel yeah. make you feel busy, but it's not necessarily aligned with kind of the big picture values. Yeah, like where the organization needs to be going and putting its energy. In fact, I would argue I could spend half as much energy and potentially get twice as much done by just stopping thinking, planning before acting. And yeah. that's been a lot of my work to be more disciplined in doing that. Yeah. I'm getting really good nuggets from you, by the way. This is super helpful. Yeah. And so um, what approach have you taken that is kind of uniquely yours or yours and your co-founders along the way in, in focusing on culture and building a strong culture? Yeah. One thing I am so proud of at Stride is that when we built this business, we elected to do it based on the best practices of everything we wanted to bring to the table for our next business. And so uh, this business is built on a set of principles, uh, guiding principles that establish how we conduct ourselves within the company and how we conduct ourselves with our customers. So things like principles might include like, the power of the wisdom of the group, meaning we prioritize the wisdom of the people in our company to help share ideas before decisions are made. It's not a democracy, by the way, but we solicit input, make and honor commitments, lead with empathy, optimize for the goal and not for the task, right? So there are four examples for you. I like those. And um, so what, what does Stride do? This is your latest yeah. endeavor. Right. Right, right. Yeah. So Stride's my latest endeavor, but the, the point to make on building culture is when your company is grounded in a shared set of principles and a language for how you all interact together and interact with the world, then you create an environment where people have a higher likelihood of um, reducing drama mm. and spending more energy in their zone of genius. Yeah. And so how do you measure for that when you're recruiting for Stride or for any company, when you're, you're setting the values or the principles, you're trying to assess for that. Yeah. How do you make that assessment? We certainly want to get under the hood with candidates early and talk about um, their willingness to be uh, vulnerable and to um, share authentically how they're feeling about something. Cause so much of drama that occurs in the workplace is uh, just spinning up stories in your head and not talking about them, not clearing the conflict with somebody. And so we really want people in the organization that are willing and, and excited mm -hmm. to, uh, to learn more about themselves, yeah. um, not just do the work.
Yeah. We talk about it a lot at Fuel and I, I love our culture. I'm really proud of it, but that is actually an area for improvement for us. Um, we don't have like actual drama, but when you say there's like the story that we tell ourselves and the actual story, for sure that comes down to like insecurities or, or needing credit or, um, you know, feeling like um, you're not being recognized properly. And all of those things are so important and you don't realize how people are leaving the day. Like, are they feeling, you thought as a leader, you're like, oh no, I acknowledge that. But actually um, some people need it more than others. And knowing their love language is also, I think, important. And in a remote workforce environment, like our company's 100% remote, but so are, so are many today. Think about what people are doing in their home spinning up stories that they can't clear because they can't walk down the hall and go talk to somebody as easily. Right. Right. I think this isn't going to be a big um, issue to solve as so many companies. I mean, Zillow just announcing lots of companies every day. We're learning about new companies that are going hundred percent remote um, and having these fragmented workforces. It's, it also creates a tremendous recruiting opportunity because you can recruit from all over the country and, and that impacts diversity um, mm -hmm. and it impacts comp. Yeah. <laughs> it, has, it has a lot of um, impact, I guess, on the business. Right. So, so training your team on how to clear conflict, how mm -hmm. to clear conflict uh, effectively, training your team on how to separate facts from stories, mm -hmm. training, training your team on how to separate the, the situation like you just shared, like people getting recognized as an example versus the context of, oh, how does that make me feel, right? Which is love language. Like that's, that's the work. And what's great about that work, if you're really committed to it, is it can change your life outside of work. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, you take that into the rest of your life. So do you, do you like bring this into your company, you personally, or are there other leaders who have learned kind of your way? Because I do think of you as an extremely evolved thinker and leader who's mm -hmm. got a growth mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My, my business partner, Eric Page, uh, he and I are both, um, heavily, heavily committed to these uh, the, these approaches and, and philosophies. Um, a lot of this is driven off of the 15 commitments of conscious leadership that I was sharing with you. I need to why, read that book. Which is why I highly recommend the book. Um, and where Eric and I align so well is that uh, he is the he's the operator. He's mm. the he's the engineering mind. He's the pragmatist. He's the de-risker. I'm the optimist. I'm the extrovert. I'm the promoter. And so that's why we align so well. He and I were also, uh, we also started our first company together in 2004. Mm. So you, you've already had to like work yeah. out all the kinks. We, we had like to work second, out the kinks. It's like a second marriage with all the benefits of having been married to each other before. Totally, right? We checked our ego at the door. I was the CEO in our first company. He's the CEO at Stride today. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so happy. And I couldn't imagine a better style to be leading Stride today as the CEO. I think it's perfect for what we need. And, yeah. and acknowledging that has been great. Yeah. Well, knowing you, I mean, I'm sure you had to come up with a very clear why on doing this business um, because you don't do much without a serious purpose and uh, it's bookkeeping and it's accounting. It's not as sexy as the things you've done in the past. And it's not, it's a services business versus a tech product company. What has been your why as far as servicing these clients and customers? We'll talk a bit about how I even got into this in a second, yeah. I'm sure. But, but um, our purpose is that we support individuals that have a thirst for learning to achieve their highest and best use, whatever that may be, by grounding stories with facts. And today we do that through bookkeeping and accounting. So let me tease that apart for you for a second. Yeah, I need we it. Support, I, needed, I need we to support, learn more. We support in any individuals that have a thirst for learning to achieve their highest and best use, meaning we're in the business of helping our clients, usually business owners, right? get the hell out of the back office so that they can focus on doing what they are uniquely supposed to be doing as the owner of their business. We also support our employees that have a thirst for learning to do exactly where they get energy in our business and help them accomplish it, whether it's at stride, frankly, or maybe it's not at stride sometimes. Okay, great. 
achieve highest and best use by grounding stories with facts. We love data. We've, we're data-driven individuals. We like analytics. We like process. We like measurement. So much of our world is driven by emotion and making things up, but aren't grounded in data. Now, facts, the facts are the facts. Like here's, here's the performance of the business. These are the debits and these are the credits, or this is the revenue and this is the loss, or this is the thing that you got done, or this is not the thing that you got done. But let's make sure that we're grounding stories that we create with facts. What are the facts? And we happen to do that today through bookkeeping and accounting. So that is what we do. So we act as guides for our clients to help them stay in their zone of genius, focus ahead, growth, innovate in your product or service. We give you the data, facts, so that you can make business decisions based off of those facts and not be freaking out about, oh no, what should I be doing and stories and, and getting all emotional. And so that's how we do it. And it's super energizing for us. And so who, who's the target customer? I mean, you said, um, you know, people with a certain mindset and who are open to that, but like what size customer? And then also how are you measuring your success? Yeah, yeah. So um, on the intro, you said we serve about 100 clients today around the country. About two thirds of those clients are, are other professional service firms. So a lot of marketing agencies, uh, a lot of uh, law firms, uh, consulting firms, engineering firms. And then about a third of our business are high growth technology startups. So these are post seed stage through series B. Mm -hmm. um, and typically these companies, most of our clients are anywhere between about one to 5 million in revenue, five to 50 employees. They don't have an accounting infrastructure. They don't have anybody in house. And we act as their remote accounting department down the hall. Got it. A, and so you're working directly with the CEO and what's the business model? Yeah. So we are paid fixed fee monthly. So we scope the work. Uh, and when I say scope the work, that's like full stack work, invoicing, collections, payroll. We close the monthly financials. Mm -hmm. We present monthly financials and we get paid a monthly fee. We do not nickel and dime. We are your partner. We don't count hours. We commit to the work and do the work. So our business is very much a recurring revenue model. And mm -hmm. so we've been able to bring some of our experience in building SaaS companies uh, into a professional services context and use measurements like you would in SaaS, lifetime value, churn, customer acquisition cost, MRR, and apply mm -hmm. that into our professional service business. And do you have your own systems or do you use like QuickBooks or Gusto or something else? Yeah. So for, for our clients, we're using all off the shelf technology that you would know. So yes, all of those you just said, yeah. QuickBooks Online, Gusto, Bill.com, Expensify, we're curating that and stitching it together for you. So it's free flow of information, low friction, uh, and totally paperless. Yeah. And do you do anything with like taxes or do you partner with um, CPAs and outside yeah. firms? Yeah. So we partner with CPAs um, for tax work and we partner with CFOs for the episodic nature of startups that need like financial modeling or board prep pack. We decided consciously to commit to being the best that we can be in the day-to-day, -day, unsexy but important uh, area of bookkeeping accounting. Right. That's and, work. and the total addressable market, I mean, is endless because you're like, everybody has to run their books. The question is whether or not they want to outsource it and partner with someone. I think a big differentiator, I'm guessing, aside from your experience, is your approach to um, all of your experience through coaching. You know, and just like that you can really partner with these companies and give them more of a holistic approach versus just, oh, here's the numbers. When we engage with a client, I'm, I'm, I tend to be on the front lines of sales and generate leads, maybe not surprising. So when we engage with a client, the way that we ask questions, the way that we get under the hood to understand their business when they probably thought they were just calling somebody to talk about this commodity service of bookkeeping totally throws them because it's like, wait a second, you're asking me questions about my business that I, like nobody asks me that. Mm -hmm. And so we immediately are perceived as a different type of- Almost like not just transacting, but consulting, like business totally. consulting. 
And yeah. so what types of questions are you asking? Because I get asked questions sometimes that I can't answer. And I'm like, should I be asking myself these questions? Or is this just somebody projecting their own, you know, whether it's like, when do you want to sell? Or what's your ultimate goal? Or, you know, um, are you going to acquire another company? <laughs> or asking a question like, where do you feel most alive? Like, where do you get the most energy in your work? Where do you want to spend, if you could wave your magic wand, as much of your time as possible? Because that's the greatest impact you can make. Mm -hmm. Do companies ever hire you to just do that part, to just help them think of their why and their genius zone? And then they're like, oh, no, we have an internal accounting person, or I'm just going to use somebody I used in my last firm. Yeah, a, a couple of times... Um, I've taken an engagement with a client to do more coaching for them, but we really want to integrate this philosophy and approach into how we serve them day to day. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of work that is done with the client when we implement with them to set the foundation for the type of relationship that we want to have. Yeah. And how we want them to think of us and how we don't want them to, to think of us because we also right. need to be careful, right? Because when I start asking these types of questions, then I don't want to be an enabler for being a consulting business that say charges by the hour, but actually we're just provide bookkeeping accounting. And so that's right. been an interesting challenge for us. We got right. to stick to our And so when you said our, our current um, how is through finance and accounting and bookkeeping, are there goals to kind of expand that out? And how do you make sure you're not, like you said, boiling the ocean? Yeah, yeah. Today, we believe there's a lot of room to run in bookkeeping accounting. So we, we don't spend a lot of time um, thinking about, oh, what would we be doing that's different? Um, that said, I think some of the systems we've put in place around uh, setting our OKRs, uh, objectives and key results, uh, measurement, transparency, uh, uh, recruiting employees, setting principles, I think can be applied to a lot of inefficiently run service businesses. Hmm. And that maybe we'll be able to hone this model over time and apply it to other service-based businesses. But today we're, we're all bookkeeping accounting. Mm -hmm. And so right now you're doing a lot of the biz dev and not surprisingly, how scalable is that? Or are you also marketing the business? And if so, where and how? Yeah. One of our principles, Shauna, is be relentless about creating the impossibly perfect machine. And the reason that matters in a service business is because service businesses don't think often about building a machine because the owner is typically the producer and the producer sits in the middle and they're very important and they are the machine. Okay, so when we step back and say, how do we create a machine that transcends us as individuals? That really speaks to your question about how do you grow the business? Where do you, where do you get leads? How do you get scale that's beyond the Russell Benaroya show, right? Or like hire a salesperson. Um, so we've done some interesting, so we're doing some interesting things. So one is um, choose the right, choose a customer segment, first of all, and go deep in that customer segment and really be perceived as the expert. So you start getting inbound versus pitching your generic bookkeeping accounting service to everybody that needs it. So we've elected to take a deep dive into professional service companies, specifically with marketing agencies. And we're creating a lot of content that's designed to showcase us like we're an industry insider. And so that's starting to yield some inbound. I've used a firm called Hello Outbound that drives a lot of my email marketing outreach with those target customer segments to start yielding qualified inbounds that have mm. nothing to do with me. Has it so, been helpful? Oh, it's been, it's been great. Great as in like, yes, it's yielding sales qualified leads. Great also in that we've learned what's not working. It's the, yeah, it's the I want to talk to you about that offline because yeah. Yeah, we don't use anything like that because I don't want to appear to be like transactional. Right. I want that but, high touch kind of totally. experience. And I want it to feel, I don't want it to be the Shauna show, but I want it to be the Shauna values show. <laughs> like yeah. how I would approach talking to somebody, which is, you know, not a heavy sale sell. Right. So I think for you, it's you, you are very good at adding selfless value, right? AASV always adds selfless value. I think you're very good at that. So, okay. How do we take that, that ethos and apply it to how we give to others through 
omni-channel communications through email, through LinkedIn. Yeah, and that's you, been a challenge for us. I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah. And I'd, I would break it down, Sean, and I would think about it like experiments. Hey, let's just run experiments. Nobody's, com we're not committing to anything, guys, forever. Let's run an experiment for a month or let's run this six-month experiment and see what we learn. And we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about what doesn't work. We're starting to learn what does work. But the point is, if you're relentless about building the impossibly perfect machine, you think a lot about how you get yourself out of the machine so you can yeah. work on the machine. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, you, you yourself are a machine. I want to transition a little bit to you personally, because I, I'm just curious how you find time for all of this. You've got um, such a just full life and you've continued to pursue these extreme um, health and, and fitness goals. How do you, how do you find time for all this? Like, first of all, when you're in training, how much time are you committing to training? Probably a lot less than you would think. I am an early, early morning guy. And this was an agreement I had to have with my wife a long time ago, not to fundamentally disrupt um, our family and relationship. So, Which is like, don't I, wake me up. Pretty much. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. when, I'm, when I'm running longer runs and I'm on the trails, I'm, I'm up by four o'clock and I get out on the trail so that I'm home by nine. And so then it doesn't look like I'm imposing on my family at all. Um, but to answer your question about time that, time that it takes, I mean, really, again, that's a lot less than you would, you would think. But you I, just said five hours, so that's a crazy town. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's like on the weekends. And then during the week, you know, probably running a few hours during the week. But it's all in the morning. It's all before 7 o'clock. And then, mm -hmm. like, you start your day. And the great thing is, regardless if you're running or you're doing P90X or Beachbody or whatever, in COVID specifically, like getting that juice in your system early in the morning, yeah. like has made me happier. Like well, my for sure. I can't relate to anybody. I mean, this is going to sound super critical and judgy, but I don't understand anybody who's literally doing nothing right now physically. I'm like, that is completely my outlet and the endorphins and then the necessity to just get out the energy through yoga or running or, or Peloton obviously is yeah. on Fuego right now, but Fuego. I love my Peloton and I find the messaging that they're giving so inspiring of just like, you know, you got getting on this bike is enough. Like you're enough and it doesn't have to be, you know, crazy or like our friend Bob Thurderson will be like, do 15 minutes of yoga. It doesn't have to be like a three hour run, but there are yeah. those unique individuals like you who I think are kind of a diamond in the rough. And I'm curious what type mm -hmm. of people you've met through this journey. Are mm -hmm. they like crazy wackadoodles? Or are they like people like you who are just kind of continuing on as athletes and, and want to live their best life and have like longevity? I started running on the trails about 10 years ago. And there was a gentleman who brought me under his wing. His name's Dave Braza. Dave Braza is the CFO at Primera Blue Cross, somewhat <laughs> coincidental to our previous story, by the way, very coincidental. Uh, so he's a, he's a high achiever. And what he did for me, Shauna, was he showed me that I could do more than I ever thought was possible. And I had always thought, oh my gosh, I could never run more than a marathon. And then he showed me like, wait a second, no, I could go run a 50 miler or I could go run a hundred miler. And mm -hmm. that it wasn't about just raw endurance. It was about strategy and nutrition and and mindset. And of course, mm -hmm. a little bit of aerobic capacity. And so he's he's... He's been a real inspiration for me. But uh, about a month and a half ago, I did this run around Mount Rainier, which I did not finish, by the way. It was a 93 miles, and we stopped at 67. So, oh, I didn't know that you didn't make it. Dude, yeah. seriously? So, so, yeah, so th this, is a great, this is a great thing. The great thing is that I didn't make it, and, and to celebrate that, because that's why I go out and do these things, because there's no guarantee that you're going to finish. How, how many t areas of life do you have the unknown, right? We're so driven by certainty. We want to be in control. It's cool. I've really enjoyed having an experience where, you know what? I actually don't know if I'm yeah. going to finish. And, and, I and, you're, and you still are accepting yourself. You're not shaming yourself over it or, or judging yourself. Right. Because I, I, and I would suggest this to our employees as well. We should set goals that we believe we have a two thirds chance of achieving because if we're mm -hmm. not we're not setting our, our goals high enough. Yeah. Wasn't that the philosophy of the OKRs anyway? 
Totally. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then when, when it comes to OKRs, again, if we're getting back to business, OKRs are fueled by smart goals, right? Mm -hmm. What are the contributing activities that you're going to undertake to achieve that objective? Well, Right. I can't control exactly whether or not I hit the goal, but I can control how many calories I put in my body per hour. I can control how much I train. I can control my mindset. That mm -hmm. should, that but should can, here's, here's what I'm saying. Cause I, I try, I try to do all of these things. My physical body is like, yeah, no, like my hips are jacked. I tried to do yeah. my, I had my, my bucket list was like, Shauna, try to do a half marathon. I'm just yeah. not a runner. Like when, and you did. like you said, I was a college athlete they'd say running and I'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I would just like find any excuse. I'd like run the stadium stairs at UW. I'm like, this sucks. Now I actually love a little bit of like that type of challenge. And I actually do really well when I'm getting like yelled at like a boot campy type of <laughs> training. But my physical body, when I was training for that half marathon, kind of said no at around seven or eight miles. The three, four, I was like, oh, I, I get this little runner's like thing. Um, now I don't even think I could run like two miles. My cardiovascular, I think is the fine part. It's my physical body. And I don't know if it's because I got the like hips and tush. I'm not designed for it. Or if it's like, I don't know why, but I don't feel like I have the physical body to run far. It's one of the reasons why I like running on the trail so much because the trail is kinder on your body. I, I mm. by the way, I have these, I have similar, I have challenges to running on the road. Like I am like knees and stuff. Yeah, totally. So I love the trail because it's kinder on your body. I also love the trail because um, there's a lot of fast hiking on the climbs. Like you can't mm. run everything. And so you get a little bit of everything and it's just, yeah, it's just kinder. And I think that's mm -hmm. why the demographic that is taking to trail running skews slightly older. Mm, uh, but I, it's I, a, that makes sense. It's a real growth area of running. Uh, trail running is really taken off. And, yeah. and it's a bit of like, I mean, you could pay to go see a, a therapist uh, yeah. Or you could pay to, or or you could go run on the trails, or at least yeah. that's like that's. My well, you literally point. just went right where my brain went when you. I was picturing myself, and I'm like, it's really hard for me to run without music, and yeah. I'm like, but the, I'm I'm thinking that you told me that you don't use music, and you just literally like zone out and meditate. Yeah, well, and I think a lot about exactly what's happening in my body in the moment, like how am I feeling, like checking in with yourself um, and like listening to my breathing. And wow. it's not like I'm solving like big problems. And by the way, it's not like overly conscious that I'm, I'm meditative in that state. It's just uh, nobody can call me. Yeah, I can't call anybody. I'm not yeah. going to get a notification or a buzz or a ring. Great. Yeah. Or, or, cool. or a family, like I got to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned COVID and like the need to kind of like have this as your escape. How, how's your family doing during COVID and how's your mental health? Like you always mm. seem, like you said, you're the eternal optimist, but like talking in that 5%, like how are you really doing and what are you hearing out there in your conversations with people? Mm. My family's doing really well uh, overall. Um my wife and I are, we're, we're spending time with a coach right now Ooh. Uh, for, for our relationship. Um, and it was more about like, we spent a lot of time together. Is that know? a code for a therapist? It's not like this person isn't a therapist. They're actually a co coach. Like they're wow. a coach. Yeah. And, and I think that's been helpful because, um, given that we're spending so much time together, it exposes oh, yeah. uh, certain behaviors. And so that's been really important. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm sharing because there are obviously behaviors that I have and I'm sure the behaviors that, that Melissa has, it's like, oh, you know, if we're really going to be partners, like let's, let's invest in our partnership. And so mm -hmm. we view COVID as a, as a time to do that. And that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I also know that, um, together, I mean, you made a big life decision right before COVID and spent that, how long was it a year in Costa Rica? Yeah. So that was a, an equivalent of like a, not a pause, but an ability to kind of prioritize kind of your time, your values and how you, how you, how you engage with the world. Has this yeah. felt like a continuation of that, this period of COVID? 
Oh, I think um, we had some really good habits in Costa Rica because we were leading with such intention around why we were there and what we wanted to accomplish as a mm -hmm. family, not in terms of goals, but more about like, just like the feeling of connectedness. Mm -hmm. And then we came back and got back into bad habits, which- well, What are examples of those habits that you would qualify as good or not so good? And I understand what I have in my mind. We're probably similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good good habits would be, for me, creating better rails around work mm -hmm. and and spending time with family. Mm -hmm. Not the like, uh-huh, 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 while you're really- uh -huh. your I got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. Yeah. Um, good behaviors for me included more curiosity and and just asking more questions and being more invested in what's mm -hmm. going on with Melissa and with the kids, not just because I only have 15 minutes, but because like, I really want to know. Yeah. Uh, and good behaviors are going out and doing activities for which we could create stories around for mm -hmm. ourselves, like, oh, great mm -hmm. experiences. Um, and so then we got back here and um, I still was connected to stride right so i start stride happened in costa rica like yeah, a month after costa rica so now i'm back here it's a hundred percent remote workforce company so everybody we're all working from home we're trying to build this business um then we hit covid it's like i'm i'm i like this is my priority and i kind of lost track of all of those good behaviors that we had committed to and so um we're getting back to those. Yeah. And how are the kids doing as far as remote learning and just thriving as, you know, teenagers? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing they're doing really well. Um they were ready to come back from Costa Rica and I you and I have talked about this before, but I have a daughter who is now my son, so Maya now goes by Devin and mm -hmm. so um, and the coolest kid of all time. And, and super cool. But like traversing that transgender journey as parents um, is, is work, right? That's taken a lot. That's takes a lot of, it's taken a lot of time for, for us. And also traversing it for Devin is big time work. Yeah. And so is it around the language to use or the like loss of something or like, what is, what's the biggest, yeah. because my, my daughter, um, is not transgender, has not transgendered or transitioned yeah. in any way, but she's very big on speaking out on behalf of the community. And there, this whole generation is just a totally different place than our generation. And I, I don't think of myself as being um, closed-minded. I just don't have the language to use or the, like you're having to fast track to all of that because it's in your home and it's somebody that you love dearly. Right, right. Some of it's language. I think a lot of it is empathy. And it's really, yes, of course, I'm, we're going, as parents, we're going through our own process, but wow, like put yourself in the shoes of the individual that is actually dealing with their own mm -hmm. identity and mm -hmm. just, yeah, empathy, I think is a but really does, But does Devin seem, in a certain way, it would be, yes, so much empathy because it's so many swirling and conflicting yeah. thoughts, but also potentially happier. Because living living his true self, yeah, and um, Devin has thrived being back here. That's why they're doing so well. Like yeah. they 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 came back to a a larger school system and a more diverse group of of uh, social network, and so mm -hmm. like they they both have really good friends and. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they're, they're doing, have there been any surprises for you as far as socially what the kids have experienced because high school and, and middle school can just be brutal. Has anyone bullied, bullied Devin or been unaccepting that you've had to kind of sever ties with that? You're like, yeah, this isn't the kind of people that we need in our life anymore because they, they're just intolerant. Yeah, not, not, not so much, uh, not so much for us, but Devin is quite switched on to where he gets energy and the type of people he wants to surround himself with. He is, we're having conversations that I could not have even as like a 35 year old adult. I mean, I'm 46 now, but it took me a long time to even be willing to self-reflect on my own behaviors or be, or have my own non-negotiables around who I spend time with and mm -hmm. why. Also very hard as a people pleaser to do that. Totally, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I struggle with that. Like, why am I putting up with that? And, and because I'm so accommodating, sometimes right. I don't 
put myself first. Exactly. As somebody feels selfish. And that's amazing for him to be able to do that. Oh yeah. And so, so he, he's been able to disconnect from certain people, but I had somebody share with me recently. They said something like, um, to a, to an Enneagram three, right. Achiever, people pleaser, somebody that likes approval. It was, Hey Russell, if, if you're not at the table for a win for all, it's not a win for all. Right. So if you're pleasing others, but you're not feeling pleased, that's not a win for all. And the goal oh, is I like that. All. You're yeah, giving some really great, I mean, you, you are so articulate with your <laughs> thoughts and clearly have done a lot of reading and self-reflection and running <laughs> plus, plus the learnings as a parent. Um, you know, we were talking about how to optimize the podcast. I'm like, maybe we just do like boom, 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 all the Russell-isms. I'm like, I'm like these, so are good, these are such good takeaways. It's so, so um, valuable and so helpful to constantly learn from you. I miss you. Like every time I talk to you, I get, I get energy from you big time. Um, my Thank ultimate you. question for you, and maybe I know the answer, I don't even know, but I'm just curious, like what, what's your ultimate fuel? What fuels Russell? It so ties into our purpose, which is why having a purpose that, that you're connected to matters. Thirst for learning and curiosity is what fuels me. So I could sit down with you. This is why this podcast is super painful because you're asking me all the questions. What I really want to do is turn this around and be asking yeah. you many questions. Yeah, that's we what, can do that. We'll, we'll do that anytime. Thank, I'm happy thank to you, answer. Thank you. But that, that's what fuels me is um, getting to know people um, when they uh, let go of their armor mm -hmm. is what fuels yeah. me. Yeah, I love that. Well, you're good at it. And it's no surprise you have such a big network and big group of, of fans. Um, I'm wishing you continued success. And hopefully this brings more exposure to Stride. And like you and I talked about, even if it's, it's just helping anybody, that's also, I know, something that fuels you. Like, how do I give back? And you're mm -hmm. doing it through this awesome company. And um, I'm psyched for you. Thank you, Shauna. Such a so pleasure. Good to see I, you. I, I couldn't think of a better vehicle to reconnect with you than this. Podcast. I know. So, so fun. Um, I hope to see you guys soon. Give my best to Melissa and to the kids. And um, I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Shauna. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.